Welcome back to the Cost of Caring podcast, where we talk about the mental, relational, physical, and financial costs of caregiving. Cost of Caring is presented by Givers, a savings and support platform that automates access to benefits programs and reimbursements for families who want to save money on caregiving. We're so happy you've joined us. Let's dive into today's episode. Today, we're talking to certified financial planner, Danielle Mira, who is a family caregiver for the three generations surrounding her, her grandma, her mom, and her young daughter. And today we're talking about how expectant family caregivers can make the best financial decisions for their families. Thank you again for having me on, Katie. I'm excited to talk about family caregiving from a financial perspective. I became a caregiver about two years ago. My grandmother fell on tile floor and broke her hip. And she's unfortunately been wheelchair bound since, since her heart cannot handle surgery. And we've, my mom and I have together have been helping her as part of her care team to make sure that she is in the most comfort care and, and she has 24 hour caregivers. So we kind of are the nurses on call whenever she needs something. So I became a family caregiver and I initially thought I was a family member just doing what was, you know, the duty asked of me. And I really just wanted to be there for her and help her through this traumatic moment that was for her. And I started researching, really researching about what it means to be a family caregiver since I was experiencing caregiver burnout. And I was like, this doesn't just seem like a family member. This seems much more than just being a family member. So as a financial professional myself, I started, you know, digging in information about financial education. I realized that there's a lot of very surface level financial education where it's like two paragraphs of education and then it's tied to a link of advertisement or it's an article leading to a government link and no one wants to read government links. So it never seems like really educational content specifically for financial education or it was like a research article that just happened to dive a little bit into financial stuff like that caregivers don't save, like they dig into debt, you know, to care for their loved ones. But I really wanted to explore more topics on financial education and of specifically family caregivers. And that's when I transitioned my niche over to, for my firm, to family caregivers and using my experiences as a family caregiver to help other family caregivers. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I love how you've taken your, you know, professional expertise and this personal experience and sort of merged the two because you obviously noticed, you know, a need for education and support um, because you and I both know that, you know, financial stress is one of the biggest pain points for people who are taking care of a family member. Um, I'd love to know before we dive into talking about your, you know, professional expertise, like what are some of the challenges that you faced? Cause you know, you're caring for your grandma. I know your mom is also experiencing, you take care of her to some degree, you know, what are, what are some of the challenges that you experienced personally as a caregiver, financial challenges 
And how did you navigate that? I guess using your professional expertise, but just you know, how did you navigate that personally? Yeah, it's really difficult. Um, I'm lucky my husband and I um, planned ahead. Being in the financial industry, you you plan probably more ahead of than other people. We were lucky to have savings available that we could utilize. But um, other than my firm's income, I'm not making really any other income. And so um, I'm kind of thinking about my future, just like many other caregivers and thinking, you know, what what does life look like after caregiving? Does life look after caregiving, you know, going back full time and and working to save more like other caregivers? Does life after caregiving continue to run this firm and educate family caregivers about financial education? I hope that's what it leads to. Um, that's the ideal. <laughs> um, but it's it's hard because it's like I feel like my life is on hold in a way because. I am a family caregiver. And I don't say that as a negative thing. It's just a realistic thing to the fact of my life is on hold. I can't just go go to another state because I want to take care of my loved one. I feel in a way, um, in, in somewhat of a way, trapped. My husband calls me like the sucker because like I'm the 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 one who like loves my family so much. I want to take care of them and I want to be so close to them. And being so close sometimes has its disadvantages. That's just realistically how it is. Yeah. But as far as my parents go in their finances, is they're kind of on the brink of retirement. So for them, it's like, should I retire? Should I not retire? Because if I do retire, then probably my, my retirement's going to be taking care of someone. And if I don't retire, then I'm going to be continuing, my dad's going to be continuing to work full time. And kind of where is that kind of ridge to when to retire? When is when does it feel comfortable to retire? And um, that's kind of like the struggles that they're working with, that they already had that time before caregiving to save for the retirement. And now it's like, will my life change after my grandmother passes away? Will will their life shift? Will they want to downsize? Like, what will that life look like after caregiving? That's that's a predicament for a lot of people. Yeah, totally. I mean, the sentiment of like feeling on hold, or uh, you know, you said your husband jokes about being trapped, but I don't think that's you know an uncommon feeling for family caregivers. Um. You talked a little bit about you and your husband maybe having, you know, a little bit of insight because of your financial background, but obviously you, you know, you planned ahead to some degree by way of saving and such. There are, you know, some groups of people that are more likely to become caregivers in the future, like only children, LGBTQ plus people, minorities, um, only daughters, this sort of thing. Can you, something that I remain interested in is just like, how do people no one thinks it's going to happen to them until it happens and then they're not prepared for it. And that can be a really overwhelming experience. I guess I'm curious to learn from you about like, how can these groups of people and all groups of people, but these groups of people that are more likely to become caregivers in the future, you know, what kind of considerations should they be thinking about now in preparation for that experience? Yeah, it's funny because I never expected to be 
a family caregiver for my grandma necessarily, um, but I kind of fit into all the categories. Although there's maybe two I don't fit into. I'm not a minority and I'm not part of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, but my mom's the closest daughter and she's the only daughter. Um, she has two brothers. So that's kind of how my caregiving role transitioned for my grandmother because we're the both the closest two women to her. And then as far as my husband and I go, we're both only children raising an only child. So, and both our parents are similar in age. So it's it's funny how it kind of worked out like that where we're going to have to, we acknowledge the fact that we would have to caregive sometime during our life. And now is more of like an actual realization, like it's there, it's going to happen. How can we plan for the future for this to happen? And one of the ways we've done that, as I said, savings, we have understood. So we have enough savings and we've created scenarios in case like we've had to do caregiving longer than what we expected. And also we've planned boundaries of what we can do. So I know that there's a certain limit to how much we can caregive because financially and sustainability for our health, we can only do so long. I know that's hard for a lot of people to be like, after five years, that's all I can do. <laughs> but um, it gets to the point where, you know, caregiving can be like eight to 10 years. And then can you, can you realistically last that long? Many people can't. And I don't expect anybody to last that long as a family caregiver. Um, the easiest ways are for expecting caregivers to prepare for caregiving is jump on a support group. You don't have to be a caregiver to get, you know, other people's experience. If you don't like being in a support group, ask a friend who's been in a similar situation. What was it like? What I can prepare for? Get, get your loved one's wishes on hand. So start having conversations. Like we were having conversations with my grandmother about her funeral, like, way earlier than most people would like we know what song we know what dress she wants to wear we know you know we started digging like just planting little seeds ahead of time like where's your bank accounts um where's your financial information where's your trust just so that we knew ahead of time where all these things were so just kind of planting little seeds like my friend's mother recently went to the hospital and um, she she experienced like five days in the hospital, and that was a huge medical bill. What if that happened to you? What would that look like? Where which bank account would I use to pay for the medical bill? What 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 would you like in your hospital bag? And and those type of details, just so that you're prepared ahead of time for those types of circumstances. And that you're also planting little seeds to make it easier for you in the future. If you're worried about, let's say you're worried about estate documents, you could be like, I recently went to an estate attorney and I haven't had my you know, will and trust processed. Is that something that you already have done? So try to put it like a third party, like kind of push a little bit to get starting, get these conversations started. And then... Yeah. And then the other thing I would suggest is just creating a financial plan if you haven't met with the financial advisor. 
just be careful about who you choose as a financial advisor. Make you know, it's like it's like going and kissing a bunch of frogs and you end up with your prince. Sometimes you may need to interview a couple of financial advisors in order to find the exact one that's compatible with you and that feels more comfortable. So that's my suggestion for you, financial advisor. Yeah, you had mentioned to me offline previously about just different types of financial advisors. I know that's like opening a can of worms, but it might be helpful to share a little bit about like what makes your practice different from someone else's and maybe one's not better or worse, but just like what should people be looking for as they, you know, kiss all these princes to find, or frogs to find their financial advisor prince. <laughs> the financial plan. prince, that's funny. Um, um, I think, well, first of all, I always say it's compatibility. If you don't trust the person, if they're not empathetic towards you, that's number one, like that's a ding, like it's not gonna work out. Because if you can't trust them enough to handle your finances, then how are you going to trust them enough to have these intimate conversations like caregiving and elder care planning or special needs planning like that. You really have to find someone who's comfortable and emotionally vulnerable with you to have those types of conversations. And then the second thing is um, fee structure. So each financial advisor is going to have a different fee structure. What's special about my firm is that I'm an advice only fee only planner. So I don't sell, I don't sell investment or insurance products, nor do I in, manage anybody's investments. What's special about that is that I really have an emphasis in education first and really providing financial education and empowerment through that. I want my clients to be empowered to make the decisions that are best for them. I'm more of a guide or a facilitator in making those, making those hard decisions that you will have as a family caregiver. And then the last thing is read documents. And what I mean by read documents is read your contracts. Many people are just like, look through those contracts and just like, oh, I don't know what that is. You know what I mean? But they don't ask. Like, ask your financial advisor, like if they're receiving a commission, ask them how much commission they're receiving. Ask them how transparent they are. You want to find someone who's transparent, not only in their fee structure, but who they are and their authenticity, because those can be two different things. You really want to make sure that whoever's going to be giving you advice that they're really truly authentic and that they're not just putting on a show for you. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, the times that we've talked, I've appreciated this about you and and like your care for people and wanting to find, you know, clients that are a match for you and vice versa um, and not just trying to, you know, get extra dollars out of them. Uh, and I think that probably that speaks to your experience as a family caregiver yourself and understanding the challenges that people are facing. Um, you started to mention before about document review. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about um, like what role does financial document review play in ensuring that family caregivers are set up for, for financial success in the future? And what are the key documents that someone should be considering that they should have, um, they should prioritize, et cetera? Yeah, for me, I literally ask for every single financial document possible. I think that's about 30 documents, depending, give or take, which documents they have. Some of the documents they're not going to have. So um, document review is really important. It's when it comes to insurance policies. It's making sure that you're not 
overcovered with a really high premium. It's making sure that you have just enough coverage that's best for you and making sure that you're not overpaying for that. And then it goes to trust documents of making sure you have your trust together or if that's not a trust, that's a power of attorney in a will and making sure that you have guardianship if you have kids. So I really look into the details of the trust to match whatever we're talking about in our conversations with and making sure that those wishes are addressed in their documents. And then when it comes to other planning, financial planning documents like creating a debt payment plan, I would review the credit card statements, review anything that's associated like home loans. If you decide that you your goal is to not have any debt during retirement, we'd review the home, the mortgage plan and see how we can pay that off sooner if that's what your wish is. So the most important documents that family caregivers should be aware of is creating an estate plan, creating estate meaning um, trust and wills, and creating a long-term care plan, whether that's how pretty much how are you going to pay for it, whether that's self-insuring or that's insurance or another investment product, you can decide what's best for you. There's many different ways nowadays to pay for long-term care. And then the third one is making sure that you have your financial foundation solidified. So making sure that you have an, um, um, a savings for emergencies, that you're having a plan to pay off the debt, whatever debt you have, and that you're financially and emotionally um, stable and that you're in good health, that you're protecting yourself, essentially. Yeah, I love that. Um, this is a little bit off topic, but you mentioned an emergency savings. Um, I think there's different advice out in the world about like how much you should have in savings. Do you have like a philosophy or insight on this for family caregivers specifically? Yeah, so usually I say between three to six months worth of expenses. So let's say your expenses each month are $1,000. So you would want at least three months worth of expenses. It adjusts a little bit based off of, let's say you have a husband who's employed, you may have a little bit less in that savings. If you're single and you're unemployed, you probably want more just as extra protection. So there are kind of some wiggle room to kind of adjust that savings based off of, you know, what's going on in your life and what that looks like. I think for family caregivers, the thing that they don't add is their loved one's expenses that they're paying for. So they'll be like, oh, my monthly expenses, let's say $1,000. But what about the $1,000 that you spend for your loved one? So that really, the monthly expenses should really be $2,000 times three or times six to get your emergency savings, not just $1,000. Because if something happens to you, you're still going to continue to be paying your loved one's expenses. Those are not going to go away. Yeah, I think that's a good reminder. Um, and sort of leads into my next question about, I think often, it's a little bit different than emergency savings, but uh, caregivers often forget about or have a hard time planning for their retirement or long-term care for themselves because they're like, 
the, the problem in front of me right now is caring for my loved one and all of my resources are going to this. Um, I guess my first question is like, what advice do you have for caregivers in planning for their retirement or their long-term care? Like just long-term planning, um, any advice for caregivers who are you know caught up in the moment? I would say plan while you're caregiving. And I'm not saying plan as in like, I'm going to put my money away. Plan as in have a plan for the future. So if you're someone who has five hours a day that your loved one takes a nap during the day, let's say, take that time to really think about what your future looks like. Take courses to educate yourself more. Maybe you want to be a career changer or maybe you found that you're actually really passionate about caregiving and you want to be an advocate in the future, like try it out. And this is your time to kind of experiment, especially if you're a full-time caregiver. This is your time to try new things and explore things. You may fail at, you know, the first couple of things, who cares? Um, but this is your time to kind of explore and, and find who you truly are. And so right when caregiving ends, you have that time to rebuild yourself and and plan for the future. I would say, and that's specifically for retirement. When it comes to long-term care, um, I usually suggest if there's not a plan in place to look at long-term care insurance policies before you start caregiving or within that first six months of caregiving. Why I say that is usually family caregivers have a decline of health throughout their caregiving journey. So if you're someone who was in perfectly good health before caregiving, and then, you know, now you have like, let's say back pain, now you have depression or anxiety, and now you have really extreme health conditions, which is possible, um, you may not qualify for long-term care insurance. So having someone review and at least in review their options while they're starting that first, you know, six months of caregiving is really important so that they can really discover what long-term care planning looks like for them. Um, they may not have the resources available to create a long-term care plan, but at least having that idea, that plan in place of, you know, when I finish caregiving, this is what my long-term care plan would look like. I have my power of attorneys ready for me so that if someone needs to caregive for me, that there's someone available. And I think that's the sad thing about caregiving is we're so focused on our loved ones, we forget about ourselves. And I would hate for it to be like you're caregiving for your loved one and then you just happen to need care yourself, but you don't have anything in place because you were so worried about getting your loved one's estate documents ready that you yourself weren't getting the estate documents ready. So, and then no one can take care of you we're going through a conservatorship process because you don't have anyone to protect you or there's not an additional power of attorney for your loved one. So there's no one to take care of the loved one that you originally took care of. So I feel like most of my job is like being a devil's advocate of like seeing beyond some of these scenarios and just thinking like, if this happens to you, then what's going to happen to your loved one? What does that look like? And in kind of just playing those scenarios and more being a thought provoker and kind of, you know, discussing what those scenarios would look like. Yeah, I, I love that. And I really like um, your 
tip, I guess, to let, look at long-term care insurance before you become a caregiver or early, early on in your caregiving journey. I think it kind of ties back to this conversation about like these groups of people that are more likely to become caregivers. That seems like a, a thing that's easy or easy-ish to do, you know, in preparation for this possible future responsibility. Um, these same groups of people, uh, minorities, women, um, just caregivers in general often have a hard time accessing financial resources. It's a big stress for them, I guess, just as we sort of start to wrap up this conversation, you know, is there anything else you've talked a little bit about how people can plan ahead and, and build a solid foundation, but just any like final thoughts on how these groups of people can, can look ahead and set themselves up for success for these possible future responsibilities? Yeah, I would say don't hold your knowledge and your skills in. Um, let those flourish. Teach others about your experiences. And I'm, I'm going to tie it back into, you know, how is that really going to help yourself? Um, how it's going to help you is if you educate your next of kin or if you educate a friend or a community member about what caregiving looks like and what you've learned, it'll be easier for someone to take care of you. The process is to make the next generation have an easier life, to have an easier process. So everything that you struggled with as a family caregiver, try to do your best to make it easier for the next take caregiver that's going to be taking care of you. So pass on that knowledge and skills, pass on the education, write, write a journal, say, you know, today my loved one fell off the bed and this is this is what we experienced and this is how we problem solved that situation um maybe the next one is we were trying to find the right fitting diapers and we went through a bunch of different diapers and we couldn't find out one that works if i'm in this situation this is what i want so do your best to if it's not financial means that you're passing down at least pass down knowledge and a plan of what you want that to look like. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sort of expanding on the question even and, and looking at it from like a really holistic viewpoint. Um, we like to ask everyone on the podcast as we wrap up, just what this is less about finances and more about your personal experience, but what do you know now that you wish you had known at the beginning of your caregiving journey? I think I wish I would have known that I was a family caregiver and that I reached out for help. Um, I was really isolated in the beginning. It was just like my mom and I trying to tackle the world. And as much as I loved my mom and how well we tackled the world together, um, it felt very isolated. And I wish I would have tried to connect more with other resources to learn more about what family caregiving look like. I say for those who are don't know their family caregivers, it's kind of like jumping into a job without a job description or getting a job as a truck driver, but you haven't even started driving. Like you're kind of like deer in headlights. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. So you kind of just like power it through because that's what you know as what is best. And I feel like I was really that deer in headlights where I was just kind of moving forward because that's what I thought was best. 
um, when actuality, I wish I would have asked for help. I wish I would have looked into more information, Googled more earlier in the early stages of caregiving, because there's such a great community out there of family caregivers who are really, truly have great knowledge and really want to help. Yeah, it's so interesting. I've heard this from other people, but like you didn't know you were a caregiver. Um, and maybe this is an impossible question, but like how, looking back, is there a way for you to have like sort of identified in that way sooner? Like what could have been different so that you could have reached out and found support sooner? Or maybe there's no way to know. <laughs> I think it's, well, the way I look at it, it's like my messaging. Um, we can, I started converting my marketing instead of being a family caregiver. It's like, are, are you taking care of an elderly loved one? Are you taking care of a child? You're kind of transitioning that messaging. So it's, it doesn't seem like those who are family members, I don't think that they're family caregivers can kind of say, oh, well, yeah, I am taking care of an elderly loved one. Like that seems more simplified than it's okay to not say that you're a family caregiver, but at least get help when you need it because there's a lot of support for someone who's not a family caregiver, but is a family member taking care of a loved one. So um, I guess kind of transitioning what that looks like. I've also done a lot of advocacy of trying to be transparent about our story in hopes that someone would say, well, I experienced that. I experienced, there's so many people who have experienced like trying to find the right diaper that fits. And I feel like it's weird. Like a lot of my conversations are about diapers. I never thought that this would be like my profession. Like we're talking about like incontinence products, but this is, this is what people have trouble with. People have trouble finding care products. And these are the kind of conversations that I have with people because it's so challenging. Like you could Google what's the best incontinence product and like start really like diving into those certain topics that you're having trouble with. Use it as a a problem solver rather, you know, through Google or your community rather than I'm a caregiver. What does that role look like? Yeah, thank you. And I mean, you have been so open about your story. I think it's really encouraging to people um, especially if they're looking for resources, whether they identify as a family caregiver or a family member who's taking care of someone. Um, I would love for you to share, you know, where people can find you online if they want to learn more about your services or just, you know, access your education. Where can they find you? Yeah, um, so I'm mostly on social media, on Twitter and LinkedIn. And then my website is spark, S-P-A-R-K, dash fin.com you can check out there feel free to i have a complimentary meeting if you just want to get to know me and hang out with me um and see if my services are a good fit and then i also um feel free to message me if you have any questions i'm really here to create a community and help other family caregivers feel less isolated Awesome. Yeah, we'll be sure to link your site. And for everyone listening, I can attest that you are enjoyable to hang out with. So if people want to <laughs> take advantage of your complimentary call, um, I think that would be very worthwhile for 
for people listening. So um, Danielle, thank you so much for sharing so much of your personal story and also your professional expertise. Um, again, we'll be sure to link you everywhere and, and share those across our channel so that people can learn more from you. Thank you, Katie. That's it from this episode of the Cost of Caring podcast presented by Givers. See you next time.